You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. With the Ramban's Hakdoma to Chumash, this is the Ramban's Hakdoma to the Torah you see it right here in front of you. So it starts off like a Tviva. Now, again, the Ramban wrote this, this remember, that he wrote two works towards the end of his life at the parish on Eov, um, and it was followed by the parish on the Torah. And those were the last works that he wrote before he died, seemingly finishing them here in Eretz Yisrael. And, and this last, this introduction really bespeaks a lot of passion on the behalf of the Ramban. Let's hear it. So um, some of you might start hearing the poetry in it right away. Again, the poem, the, the, the rhyming is going to be the word Norah. I'm going to explain the Torah, but he's going to write Chidushim Beperish HaTorah. So the Ramban is already telling you that this isn't going to be, you know, he's, he, he is very modest, as you're going to see in a minute. But he's, what he's telling you, it's going to be chidushim b'peirush Torah. He isn't just going to explain the words. He's going to um, write things which he knows are novel. Now, but he says, he's very, he's fearful. He's quaking in his boots because he knows he's not just writing, you know, a manual of how to put together a, a food processor. He knows that he's talking about the Torah itself. So he's, he realizes what he's doing and he prays. And he, he realizes that he's broken. Again, you don't. I, I would. I would say right away, you you wouldn't find the Rambam writing this way about to start a book. <laughs> the Rambam would explain what was pushing him to write this book, and he would give you a, a very scholastic type of introduction. The Rambam's introduction to what most people consider his major uh, major work. Again, I I have. Again, I would say that. His, 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 the, the Mohammas and, and the Sefer Mitzvos uh, need to be reckoned as his major works. But I'll agree that his parish on Chumash is, is magnificent. But the Ramban starts his parish by, by davening and begging God and begging Kapara Vavakish Machila from God. A true, complete um, submission. All the all the um, vertebrae in the in his body are bending completely towards the Creator. Again, all the kapara. This is the um, the or brora. She'ain beats us on the malah. In other words, let's say you would have the eggs that were laid by an ant. Against Jupiter. Let's say, or or even more than Jupiter, the whole the whole the whole series of planets and stars that are part of this thing called the Galgal, this huge uh, circular Milky Way galaxy. So take the egg of a small ant and compare it to a size of how small that is compared to the vastness of this other big gigantic circle. That is not smaller than my wisdom is. Kasher Torah, 
the Torah itself, which of course represents God's wisdom, is greater in terms of what's there, in terms of what the Ramban knows, more, more than the ratio of the small ant egg to the Milky Way galaxy. Because you know what's in the Torah? The secrets of the Torah that are, that are hidden inside the rooms that are that are that are you have to search deep they're hidden away in all the nooks and crannies and this is the ramban's attitude that the torah isn't just words that he can explain well and 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 be mafarish but there's actually great great secrets of incredible depth of god's mind to find in all these places in the torah the any precious thing, any amazing thing, deep sod, and an and incredible chachma, kamus ima. It's somehow a treasure hidden within the Torah, If you can find that storage house of of that that treasure place of the Torah, you'll find that they are sealed. That's how incredible what the Torah is. And he's not, he, here he isn't talking about, he just seems to be talking about Hamishay Chom Torah now. He isn't talking about the, 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 the totality of Nevi'im, Ksuvim, and Mishnayos, and Tosefta, and, 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 and Sifrei, Safra, and Bavu Yishalmi, Medroshim. He's talking about even what's found in these five books that he is basically writing a parish for. He realizes that there's this incredible amount of, of, of wisdom. God's wisdom, the secrets of how God works. And he knows that where do you find them? Beremez, Bedibor, Bixiva, Bamira. You can find them in hints, in direct statements, in, in the way it's written, in the way you say it. Kasher Omar Anovi. And who's the one who tells that about us, who told us about the Torah? Was it Roshim and Bar Yochai? Yes. But even before Shim and Bar Yochai, there was another Novi. Now I have to make a point here. I don't want to get too involved in it, but um, one of a person I was zochah to be very close to wrote a very important essay on this topic, and that was Rabbi Yitzchak Sender. And I know that there are people here who remember Rabbi Sender very well, uh, a wonderful, incredible teacher and writer. And he has a, an essay where he indicates a, a very important debate whether this man that we're going to talk about in a minute was really a Navi or not. Now, who is the Navi? The Navi that we're talking about is Hamafuar Bilavush Malchus Torah. The Navi who appeared dressed like a king and a crown. Mashiach, the anointed one, Elohei Yaakov, the anointed one of the God of Yaakov, Vinoyam Azmira, and all rhyming, Agmira, Atara, Zmira, meaning the one who was such the great poetic singer, the sweet singer of songs, David, in other words. So the Ramban is on record here that David was a Novi. That David wasn't just a Baruch HaKodesh, but David was a Novi. I have to tell you, the Rambam disagrees. This is not my topic tonight, but Rabbi Sender has written a wonderful essay about this, that the Ramban, that the Rambam, in explaining the difference between, and some of you might be aware of this, why do we split Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim? Why do we split it into these three sections? 
and there's very and it's very crucial. There are many halachic differences between them. There's one that plays itself out every Shabbos. There's a takonus chazal. The Gemara says in Kol Kisve, the Mishnayos of Kol Kisve Shabbos says not to read Ksuvim on Shabbos. In fact, that's the way the reason you'll find that all the haftoros that we read are from Nevi'im. None of them are from Ksuvim. And the reason is, is because Ksuvim were so gishmak, they were so moshech, um, uh, so meratek. It was so interesting and it was so fascinating that Chazal were afraid that if you read Ksuvim on Shabbos, that you wouldn't be interested in, go, in going out of the house anymore. You wouldn't come to Shul to hear the rabbi's drasha, or maybe even you'd miss Mincha possibly, because the Ksuvim are significant. Nevi'im, however, don't have, although, again, many people don't, Nevi'im are very interesting. Say for Shmuel and say for Malachim and, and other parts of Nevi'im are interesting. But Nevi'im didn't have that sort of like um, addictive power that Chazal saw in Ksuvim. So there's a difference halachically between Nevi'im and Ksuvim. But the Rambam takes it much a step further. He says the reason why we call it Ksuvim is because the people who wrote the Ksuvim were not Nevi'im. They, they, they were Bali Ruach HaKodesh, and in a way, Ksuvim have less of a level of, of Kedusha than uh, Nevi'im do. Because Ksuvim are, they weren't, the people that wrote them were not Nevi'im. It was meant to be written, but they weren't meant to be told to Jewish people at the time. And the Rambam goes and explains what a Navi is. That a Navi is someone who's been given a message that needs to be given over to a group of people at his time. But if somebody was inspired by God to write something down, and it should be part of an eternal neches of the Jewish people, that doesn't make it. That doesn't make him a navi. So the Rambam knows that David HaMelech wrote Tehillim with Ruach HaKodesh. And if you study Tehillim, and you fulfill a great mitzvah of studying part of God's Torah in a, in a larger sense. But the, the Tehillim itself is not an example of Nevuah, meaning David HaMelech did not experience the way the Rambam describes what Nevuah is in Hilchas Yisodiah Torah, you know, of falling asleep and being in a trance and having an image uh, projected into your mind. That's not what occurs in Ksuvim. But you see, the Ramban disagrees. The Ramban says, the Novi, and he says this a number of times, not the only place. I have a couple of places where the Ramban refers to David HaMelech as a Novi and Tehillim as Divrei Nevuah. And he says, what does it say in Tehillim? It says, Everything else I've studied, there's an end to it. But mitzvahs, there's no end. Every other field of wisdom, but mitzvahs have no end. And what does that mean, mitzvahs have no end? It means there's the greatness and the wisdom of God and the holy ideas that are found in there. Not just that, you know, <laughs> there's one more piece you could say or one more part of halacha. That's also true. And that's why you would learn Pasha Pshad in this Pasik, that mitzvahs are so expansive, you can add another layer, another layer about Svira Saomer or Kashras, whatever sugi you're doing. But the Ramban is saying that the mitzvos contained in those simple word of mitzvos is the widest, most expansive ideas of God. Again, this is from Tilim Kufyutes, 
Alke Nozarti Nafshi. They are they are a pella in the Eidos itself, beyond the simple shot of what the mitzvahs mean, they're depths and depths of, of, of ideas and connections to God and how the universe was created. But I keep them. So if that's true, Ramban, why are you doing this then? If it's true that you're a zero, you know how great Torah is. So why even begin? He says, I have to. This is, of course, what Benazai said. Benazai said, I know I'm doing the wrong thing by not getting married, but I'm learning, but I can't help myself. The Rabban says, that's what I'm about. I, I love learning. Torah is, is, is everything to me. I love it so much. Again, not the type of thing you would hear the Rambam write in any way. The Rambam would not say about himself, I love Torah so much. He would talk about being a philosopher and that Torah is the greatest wisdom of God. And you would see the love uh, bleeding within the words of the Rambam. And you know that in some ways he's talking about himself. But he wouldn't say, I'm a chayshik it's a fire within me that's burning. I have to like keep it right. I have to like control it in my in, in my kliot, right? I have to just hold it in. And you know what I'm going to do because I, I love Torah so much? I'm going to get involved. I'm going to go on the heels of the Rishonim. This, of course, connects us back to another statement that we saw when we read the introduction to the Parish Mitzvos, you might remember, where he talks about his lifetime being a lifetime of defense and explaining uh, the previous generations. Incredible amount of respect that he has for them. And that's what he says, I'm going to go follow their paths. These were men that were great, great Gaonim, geniuses, Bale Gvura, Likones Imam, Baoveyakora. I'm going to go into them, and the same way you go to the thickness of the of the beam, I'm going to get really nitty gritty with them, and and I'm going to really, meaning my parish is going to be one that's built on previous interpretations. But don't think I'm just going to be a manby pamby sort of malakate. I'm going to get down with inside of them and really go in depth with the issues they deal with. Lichtov bahem. Now, I saw Rav Shavel in his translation. Um, I picked it up uh, recently, about a couple of years ago at a garage sale. Somebody was selling a set of uh, Ramban uh, Shavel translations. Um, uh, Bob, you, some of you might have them. Um, he translates this to mean, Lichtov, along with them. I'm not sure if that's what it means. I think it could mean I'm going to write within them. I'm going to use them. I'm going to model myself with them. And in a way, what I'm going to write is something to be used along with them. Bahem. And what is it going to be? What is the essence of the Ramban's commentary? Pshatim biksuvim. That's psukim. And the midrashim. B'mitzvot as well, of course. And we've talked about this. And explaining the, pers- the, the purpose for certain mitzvot. We talked about that. Va'agada. Now, the Agada, of course, rhymes with the word Korah and Chabura. Agada doesn't seem to necessarily flow directly from the Torah itself, not like the Ksuvim or the Medrashim or the mitzvahs of the Torah. 
But we know Chazal definitely use incidents and descriptions and mesholim that are all part of Agadah or Agoda, which become part of the Torah. Arucha bekol ushmura. Now this should be an ayin, not an aleph. It's set up, and it's it's it's, it's all perfect the way it's set up. It, it's I, I, in other words, he's proud of what he did. Va'asim l'mor ponai neiras ha But you know what's going to be shining in front of me? I know there's people before me. But what's going to be constantly in front of me, like you can see here, I'm pointing here to my desk lamp here. The thing that's right in front of me while I'm writing is the lights of the, of the, of the pure menorah. What are those lights? Those are the, 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 the amazing number of perushim of Rabbeinu Shlomo. That's, of course, Rashi. Ateres tzvi utzviras tifora. Now again, a terrorist tzvi doesn't mean of a it doesn't mean of a of a of a of a, of a, of a deer. What it means is there's these are both terms for various types of crowns, right? Uh, like, and this is again based on on, on psukim, where we talk about the crowns of glorious crowns, beautiful crowns. These perushim are, and he feels Rashi is the menorah hatahora. Rashi represents the pure, incredible menorah, complex and pure, radiating light in the heichal. Those, that is the way he describes Rashi. And what he says is, is that muhtar binimuse. Rashi is crowned by, now nimuse, of course, is a Greek Talmudic word, which is, which is connected to the word nomos, which is customs. That's, but it also means etiquette and behavior. And Rashi is the one who got it right, meaning the proper behavior of Mikra, Mishnah, Gemara. In other words, Rashi's perushim are muhtar with the nimusim, of, of how to approach the Mikra, how to approach the Mishnah and the Gemara. Lo mishpat habachorah. Now, Chevelle says what this means is Rashi was the first of the universally accepted perushim. I think what he's saying is, is that because of how impressive what Rashi did, he's your first place to look. Now, a lot of you would say, why do I need to look at Rashi? Let me just look at the Psukim. I'll look at Unkelis, maybe. Ari Kaplan's translation. The Ramban, similar to what we saw, the way he defended the Rif and others, part of his criticism of the Rambam, of course, of not going to the Gemara first. With, 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 with Chumash, you start with Rashi. Rashi gets the first Mishpat. Him, he's the first place that you're going to turn to. Bidvarov Ehege. I'm going to really think. Ehege, of course, like we just said in Marif tonight, I'm going to think deeply about the words of Rashi. And that's sort of like, I, and I love them so much, I'm just going to go, I'm almost going to be overwhelmed by them, like the Lushan Shigoyot. 
like eshke, like the word shogeg or meshuga. In other words, from the love I have in, 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 because I'm really going to, and it's not just because it's Rashi, it's because what Rashi represents. Rashi represents Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara, also his own, uh, his own individual, uh, individualistic interpretations. But the Ramban is, is, is owning up to the effort he's going to put into it. And, and in some ways, you might think he's going overboard in it. But I'm going to really deal with it and I'm going to go back and forth. I'm going to critic, and, and you're going to see there's places where the Ramban is very critical of Rashi, but with viewing him as the starting point and, 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 and he's going to try to explain and justify Rashi. Bipshatov umedroshov Pshatim that Rashi says, the Midrashim that Rashi chooses, the Chol Agoda Bitsura. Here, Chevelle translates this as obscure. And just like Batsur is like uh, a fortress that is so secure you can't attack it, this is like an Agadata that Rashi quotes that seems to be strange and difficult to comprehend. Um, I'm not sure if that's what it, what the Ramban really meant. Um, obviously, he wanted it to rhyme, but there are agadatas which he puts as special. Asher beperush of Zahura that Rashi explains, or that Rashi mentions. So it's going to be, in some ways, more depth than Rashi ever believed his perish would even justify. But the Ramban is going to delve into it like it's the Gemara which is a pretty amazing thing. You know, because again, you, you think about what Nechama Leibowitz and other people do. They don't do that. <laughs> you know, even if you take a Torah Chaim Chumash, uh, where you have like a, a standard, all the mo- or, or even a Makros Gedolos. Oh, let's look Rashi, let's see Ramban, let's see Ebenezer, let's see Kliyokar. The, the, the Ramban has, has, has stated, and, and this took a lot of courage to say this, that this is the prime area to work with, is within Rashi, and maybe even more than Rashi himself would have ever uh, uh, implied his parish meant. And, 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 and the Ramban is certain that this is what needs to be done. Sometimes he is going to explain Rashi's in a way, with, with, certain, with the Midrashim that Rashi quotes, in ways that I'm telling you right now, Rashi himself probably never thought of. Now, of course, that's really not so difficult to understand because Rashi's quoting Chazal. Um, Rashi's not necessarily inventing it. Still, it's interesting that, again, there's there's quite a, a number of other uh, Midrashim that the Ramban could use and could maybe even have made the Ramban's case clearer. But he's going to stick within the Rashi framework uh, no matter what. Now, v'im Rab Avram ben Ezra, tiyelonu tochachat megula va'ava misutra. Now, this is based on a pasuk in Mishle that says, "Tova tochachas megula me'ava misutaret, misutoret," which simply means it's better to have an open rebuke. 
than a love that's hidden away. Now, this is a very fascinating thing. Eben Ezra, he's telling our his readers that, that you're going to see a lot of criticism on my point on Eben Ezra. It's going to be tochachas migula. It's going to be open. But he's also telling his readers that he has a love for Eben Ezra. That, that there's like a love hidden behind it, but you're not going to see it in his words. His words to Rashi, you're going to see, oh, you're so sweet. You're so Rashi, so great. It's so beautiful. Oh, this parish chazal is giving all the gold. Oh, I have now explained you, Rashi. Maybe this is what you mean, right? He's going to be over, bending over backwards to love Rashi. And then Ezra is going to be much more harsh and critical too. But he's telling us up front that his his critique hides a, a, an incredible appreciation. And I'm going to say an appreciation of someone who's on the right path, but gets it wrong consistently. <laughs> um and, and if you take a look, I think this is the Malbim on that Pusik in Mishle. I want to read it to you. Um, Even if you, 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 you subject someone to a Tochachas Migula, it's open and everybody hears it and the guy is embarrassed. It's still not a terrible thing. It's actually good because the person saying it isn't just trying to score points and try to ridicule the person he's talking to. He actually loves the person. He's trying to make him better. I would like to suggest that the Ramban, although Eben Ezra and Rashi have both died long before the Ramban starts putting pen to paper and spreading his commentary, he knows that the Eben Ezra is a popular safer. And he knows there's many who are going to still read it. He's not trying to, to put it out of business. I think what he's trying to do is, is by offering this very strict corrective, he is hoping that people will still keep the Eben Ezra for its positive things. In places where Eben Ezra is very close to what, what, what the proper interpretation is. But he's not trying to destroy the Eben Ezra. Now, I, I, I can give you some examples of this. And, and I do want to be able to do this for you. Um, Let's start with uh, something at the end of Parshas Noah. So here you see at the end of Parshas Noah, Terech, 70 years old, three children, Avram, Nochar, and Horon. These are Terech's children. Terech, Olidus, Avram, as Nochar, as Horon. Horon, of course, has Lot. Aaron dies, Alpanei Terach Aviv. Terach sees the death of his child. This is a very important 
phrase for both the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra. Be'eretz melodito be'ur kastim. Okay. Um, is Eretz melodito where Terach was born? Or only where Horan was born? Is Ur Kastim just the place where Terach's family was born? Terach and his children were born? The next Pasuk says that Avram and Nochor, Horon's dead. Um, Horon obviously had a wife or had at least was able to father a child with someone, Lot. But Avram and Nochor's wives are important for us because Avram's wife, of course, is Sarai. Nochor's wife is Milka. Interesting here, you see, she seems to be his niece, Bas Horon. Avi Milka. Now we have another strange name, Avi Yiska, who doesn't seem to have any significance. Who cares about Yiska? Yiska, okay, Milka, we know is important because eventually this is um, where uh, where you have uh, Lavan, and Besuel, I'm sorry, and Lavan, and then Rivka, and then eventually Rachel and Leah. So Milka is important as far as that goes. Yiska doesn't seem to have any significance. Okay, Sarai has no children. That's important. Terach, Terach. Yiska, Sarah? Oh, this is part of what the Ebenezer does not feel is correct. But we'll find out. So, Terach, um, uh, Terach uh, seems to be the forceful one to take Avram, his son, and Lot, his grandson, and Sarai. And it says they leave Ur Kastim and they're on their way to Canaan. They make it till Choron. They make it till Choron and they stay there. Then it mentions how Terach dies in Choron, never making it to Eretz Yisrael. The very next passage, of course, is Hashem says to Avram, Lech Lecha Me'artzucha, Me'ladetcha, Me'beisavicha, Eretz Asher Arecha. And that, of course, is going to Eretz Yisrael. Right away, the problem is, there's a problem in Pshat. Because this Pasuk already says that they're on their way to Canaan, which is where Avram Avinu eventually ends up in the beginning of Lech Lecha. Whereas a couple of Pesukim earlier, it, right? In, in, in other words, did Lech Lecha happen first? Was he told Lech Lecha in Haran? Because it already says here he's going to Canaan. Well, you could say that's the pshat. <laughs> right? But that means Avram knew he was going to Canaan, or at least at least Terach did. So this is problematic. So <laughs> the Eben Ezra looks at this whole little boring little section, and he uses it sort of as an attack on Chazal, at least in the Ramban's eyes. You tell me if you think it's an attack. We're going to read the Eben Ezra's commentary here, and I'm going to show you the Ramban's tochacha here. Okay, so here we go. So first, the Eben Ezra's on record that Eretz Melodito, which was said possibly for sure about Aaron, maybe about Terach, the Eben Ezra says it's all of them. They were all born in Ur Kastim. That's the place, like the Pope went over there to the city of Ur. That was the birthplace of Abraham. Avram Noah Babakam Nikra Ur Kastim. Why it's called Ur? What does Ur mean? 
Well, there's another Pasek in Yeshai that says, Be'urim kibdu Hashem. It sounds like there's a place called Urim. So you see that Ur is a, is, is a good name of a city. Hmm. But now the Ebenezer's critical uh, eye kicks in. But you know what? That couldn't be the name at the time that Avram was born there because who are the Kastim? The Kastim are actually Nochor's children. How do you know that? Because it says at the end of Parshas Chayusara, Achard Vermeila, Lamor, Vayagad Vom Lamor, Hine Yolda Milka, I'm sorry, the end of Parshas Vayera, Kam Hi Bonim, Lenochor Achicha, right? Milka gave, right? As Utzbachoro, as Buz Achiv, as Kmuel, Aviaram, and Kesed. So Kesed was. Avram's nephew, Eschazo, Pildosh, Yidlof, and Besuel. And Besuel gave birth to Rivka, Avram's grand niece. So you see, Kesed is actually the name of Nochor's child. So Ebenezer says, it wasn't called Kastim then. Maybe it was called Ur, Urim of something else. But Moshe wrote the name. Moshe wrote in the time of the Torah, he changed the name. Okay. Now, how do you know? How do you know Avram was born there? Shameis Haran Ochiv. Haran died there, and it says that's where Haran was born. Now, it's possible. Maybe there was some sort of fire there. I don't know what Urim means. It's a, it's, we're going to see other Menachem Ibn Saruk says it means a valley. I don't know how he knows that. It's, it's the, the language, Allah Vavresh, is fire. So the Ebeneser says it's possible there was a fire there. Maybe they did put some sort of huge fire, the Kasta made a fire there. But that was only in the time of Moshe, that was later. Because according to him, there were no Kastim. There were no Chaldeans. There were no Kastim until later. So it could be when Moshe Rabbeinu was using that place name, he was talking about a fire of a different time. Now, what has the Ebenezer done with all of this? Well, basically, what he's, <laughs> he has taken away the whole idea of the Ur Kastim being this incredible spot that Avram Avinu proves his, his, his faith in God, where Avram was thrown into the Kivshan Aish, right? That Ben Ezra, in terms of Pshat, and he's going to mention it, but you'll see how he mentions it. But, but clearly, Kastim is Kesed. Kesed is obviously later than Avram. It's actually Avram's nephew. Um, why are we even told about uh, Milka? Because we want to talk about Rivka and Rachel and Leah, of course. But here comes what Richard said. Chazal tell us that Yiska is Sora. Okay. They want to say it. Im Kabel. This language sounds very parav, doesn't it? Okay. If there's a Kabbalah, I'll accept it. This is a very skeptical term. The Ramban believes these type of terms develop into Rejection of Chazal eventually. Now, did the, can you demand the Ebenezer to know every P 
piece of Gemara or Medrash? Well, he knew about this one. But even the term, well, if this is a Kabbalah they add, I'll accept it. As if sometimes Chazal are just shooting from the hip. Chazal themselves didn't have a tradition all the way going back to Moshe Rabbeinu when Moshe taught this during the 40 years in the desert. Yeah, Chazal were sort of yeah, maybe suggesting that. Well, if it's a Kabbalah, I'll accept it. Implying it might just be something speculation. That's why it sounds very benign. But this type of phrase really generates ire on, on the behalf of, on the part of the Ramban. Similarly, the, the Ebenezer goes on. You know who says that? Chazal say that. Chazal say in a number of Midrashim that Avram could not have children. That Avram was an Okor. Now, here, they don't necessarily say that Sora was not. But he has a, he seems to, the Ebenezer start, and this is another thing that the, the, the Ramban can't take about the Ebenezer. Um, Chazal do say they were both unable to have children naturally. Chazal do say that. Avram eno molid, Avraham molid. That's what Chazal say. So the Ben Ezra creates a, a, creates a pseudo-Chazal. That Avram was the Okar, but Sarah was not. That's the opposite of the Pasuk. Look at Yishmael. And look at B'nai Ketorah. You see, Avram never had a problem having children. And he's right. The Pasuk never says Avram is an Okor. Chazal say it. But by attributing this opposite, that Sarai could have children and Avram couldn't, that's the opposite. Well, there is no, I don't believe there is such a shita. There's a shita that says they were both Akarot. But the Eben Ezra has decided to paint the Shita that Avram was an Okor together with the obvious lie that Sarai was not. And that's why he says, well, look what happened to Avram. Now, we have a tradition that Avram changed. Chazal say that when he, there is a Medrash that says that when he went into the Kivshan Aish, he came out being able to have children. Whereas before he went in, he wasn't able to. But again, the, the Ebn Ezra doesn't believe in the whole transformative aspect of Kivshan Aish. Again, I don't know if there's any Chazal anywhere that says that Sarai or Sora was his sister. And he's right, Ebn Ezra. If the Torah would have written that, it would have said he took Sarai, his daughter. And, but what he's really after is the following. What he's really after is to say, to say that Sarai was Avram's niece, that Sarai was Horon's daughter. And that's what he says over here. Gam kein ilu hoisa achos lot. So this part that Sarai was Achos Avram, I don't believe exists in any Medrash anywhere. Maybe there's some idiotic commentary who says it. 
but this is Chazal that Richard quoted. If she was Lot's sister, if she was Yoska, the Torah would have said, Sarai Baspino. It would have mentioned Sarai more as a granddaughter than as a daughter-in-law, the same way it says about Lot. Okay. So here again is, is, is the Eben Ezra. Rabbi Kivalevich? Yes. Is it possible that some commentaries, and I don't remember the details who and where, you know, because, um, uh, you know, Avram had to say that uh, Sarah is his sister, that uh, they didn't want to, yes. did not want to present Avram as a liar. No, no, you're so correct. They, so they went to say maybe. No, you know, no, you're right. He's actually go, he's not exactly a lie. It's the way, it's like a moral lesson. Sometimes you would say the truth in a roundabout way. Or no, no, something. you're correct, Dr. Kogan. That is this place where they, pin the idea that they were actually brother and sister. You're right. But it's not Chazal who say it. But what the Eben Ezra has done is by bunching it together. And there might be such a uh, fumbling commentary who suggests it based on the Pusik that you, that you say. And, and I, I don't deny that. But when he says, that's Chazal. And, and, and he's in and he, and, and the same flick of the hand that he rejects the fumbling non-Chazal, he's able to use similar sort of uh, uh, rejection based on the psukim on Chazal itself. Now, he is correct that if Sarai was, was Avram's daughter, even if she would have married Avram's, um, uh, Avram, a father-in-law, a father is never not the father to his daughter, even if his daughter becomes his daughter's sort of in-law by marrying, uh, by marrying her brother, which might have been allowed at that time. But a, you could say that a granddaughter and his daughter-in-law, you could say, you could say they are sort of equal in terms of description. But by bunching it the way he does, he's able to lower the boom avalanche on Chazal saying that Yoska is Sora. Okay. Then he says, what about this business about, I know Chazal do not agree with me about where Avram was born. They say Avram was not uh, born in Urkastim. And part of the proof is about Nochar, because what's Nochar doing in Choron? Why isn't Nochar in Urkastim? Because we know Nochar was in Choron. And when it talks about who went on the way to Eret to Canaan, it doesn't say that Nochar went, right? When it talks about everybody leaving Urkastim, seemingly, it says, Terach took Avram Beno, Lot Ben Horon is Sarai, right? He takes Avram, Lot, and Sarai, and they go out of Ur-Kastim to Canaan. Now, why is, why is Nochor in Choron? It's a question, right? Why is, especially according to Ibn Ezra, that Ur-Kastim is where this whole Abrahamic family is from? Uh uh, Rabbi Kivalevich, what, yes. from what I know about history, actually, if you travel to Haran today, they would show you the place where Avram was born. And I just heard a historical lecture that uh, Ur-Kazdim and, uh, and Haran sh- uh, shared a, f- a religion. They're both you know, moon-worshipping centers. And the citizenship of one extended to the citizens of the other. 
Okay. So really, they were kin people. They were, uh, you know, family and religious. But they, mu- but they must have been distant from each other because the Torah says. Yes, yes, geographically, yes, but somehow uh, religiously and otherwise connected. Yeah. Right, but 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 still, if if, if if technically Dr. Kogan, he was born in Urkastim, according to the Eben Ezra's way of looking at things, that's where Terach is born, or at least that's where Terach uh, gives, is the progenitor and sires these three children in Urkastim, that's the birthplace of Avram. And where, why is it that Nochor isn't, the, why isn't, why isn't Nochor in Urkastim? So he says, well, it's possible that Nochor went to Choron first, or maybe went there afterwards. Then he says, but you know what makes more sense? It makes more sense to say that Lech which comes later, was actually before the Pasuk of Ayikach Terach. And this is really another principle of Eben Ezra that the Ramban bristles at, which Eben Ezra is willing to look at the Torah and sometimes, very similar to Rashi in this way, to sort of say, well, you know, this piece doesn't fit here, it probably happened earlier. That there are portions in the Torah that are written out of order. Because logically it doesn't make sense that you'd bet that chapter 12 in Genesis should happen before the end of chapter 11. And therefore, it's probably correct that that Avram gets the prophecy before that, before what it says in chapter 11. And he says, we have that in other places too, when he shows the most obvious case, which is in Bamidbar, where Bamidbar starts with what happens in the second year in the second month. And then in chapter 9, we go with what happened in the first, uh, the second year, the first month. Okay, and you see it says to go to Eretz Canaan, so it must be that really, although Avram gets the prophecy, somehow he tips off Terach that they want to go, and Terach says, we're all going. So Terach goes to Choron, and he says, yeah, I'm going to stay here. But the principle is, Ein mukta which is a principle Chazal use. But it's interesting, this is something that Ramban, actually, unlike Rashi, is very, as you know, and Bob and others who have studied the Ramban in depth, and many, maybe all of you have, realize the Ramban is very loath <laughs> to use. And he doesn't believe that it really represents uh, the, the majority of Chazal to look at things out of order. Ramban will try his hardest to put things always in the chronological sequence, uh, the way they are actually written in the Torah. And if you look at the second we we have Baruch Hashem has come down to us a a a, a an alternate commentary from Eben Ezra that might have also the Ramban might have also seen, which is he says clearly on this psukim Al the parsha of Yehuda comes before Mechiras Yosef. This is really incredibly strange. Why is the Eben Ezra even bringing this up? In other words, this is this is twenty six chapters later. But of course, this is the chapter of Yehuda and Tamar, right? Remember, the brothers sell Yosef, and then all of a sudden we have this interlude about what happens to Yehuda. Now, Chazal make a very big deal out of it, right? Chazal say this is where Yehuda learned uh, humility, and Yehuda, who had been the leader uh, among his brothers, uh, right, where he had failed, where he could have used his leadership correctly, and that he needs a whole lesson. And this is really, in many ways, the way Chazal look at it, the parsha of Yehuda and Tamar is really crucial to train Yehuda to become the Balchuva. Uh, the Lord Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory uh, elaborates on this theme greatly based on the way the Psukim are written. 
But the Ben Ezra says it makes really no sense to say that the story of Yosef, that after that story, that we somehow have the story of Yosef, about Yehuda and, his, and, 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 and Tamar and Shayla and an heir of Onan, yeah, it's written out of order. And then in the same breath, he says, and Yoska is not really Sora. In other words, Chazal say, well, the Chazal say, why is Yoska mentioned? It must be, like uh, Richard was saying, that she had Ruach HaKodesh, and she was actually Avram's niece. She's Lot's brother. And here you see what you were saying, doctor. Ve'en Rai, and don't tell me that she is Avram's niece from the fact that he says... Achosi bas This is what he tells Paro, right? This is what he tells Avimelech, right? I'm sorry, he doesn't tell Paro. He tells Avimelech that she is my sister. Now, a niece could be a sister because you could view your brother sort of like it's all one family and a brother's daughter can be like your sister. So that's not much of a lie, which is what Chazal say. So here, Deben Ezra says, yeah, Avram lied quite a bit. Yeah, he told them a lie, like he told the people by the Akeda. Remember? He said, Don't come with me. Right? He said, I'm gonna be coming back soon. Because he because he knew that if he wouldn't if he wouldn't lie to them, they wouldn't let him do a terrible thing like tie his son up uh as a carbon. And he he said an outright lie to them. He said, You know what? We're just gonna go up to that mountain and bow down, which was a lie. Uvedai to Rui, what he planned to do was not just do some avoda of prostration on top of the mountain to God. He planned on killing his son to turn him into a carbon. Rivka also. Now, what about Rivka? What does he want with Rivka here? The Eben Ezra has decided that this little parsha of chapter 11 is a place for him to vent against what he sees as the, um, the, the aberrant interpretations of Chazal. He said, what about Rivka? Do you really think Rivka was only three years old? If she was three years old, how could she be the leader to, to, to be Mashka the Gemolim, uh, ten Gemolim? And, and why do you need to say about her, if she's only three, that she was a virgin and no man ever had, had, had carnal knowledge of her? And also, she was only three. Do you think that uh, Lavan and Besuel and the others would say, oh, we need to ask her if she wants to go? Would anybody ask a little three-year-old girl if she agrees to be married? Now, the people who say that somehow generations were different then, and we talked about this in previous classes, about how we view uh, the Doris HaKodman. Omer ki ador harishon, hoyuchazokim, hadover hafuch. It's the opposite. One second. You want to say that kids matured when they were three, that the earlier generations, three-year-olds were like 20-year-olds. It's the opposite. He says, take a look and read the psukim, and you'll see that till Noah's time, people lived to be close to be a thousand years old. If you look throughout that whole list in Beratius, what they call the begats, right? If you take a look over there, you'll see nobody has a baby earlier than 65. When we say that later the earth is going to return back to such a state, we talk about if a guy's 100 and he dies, we say, boy, he died young. That's in Yeshaya. 
So you see that that's the that's similar to the way things were in the beginning of creation. Not like the Rambam, who says these guys were the exceptions. That Ben Ezra is more in, in the Ramban's world that the, the, the Teva started to change in terms of people's ages. But his point, though, is is that basically what happens is it's compressed. So in other words, a person lives to be a hundred, or he lives to be a, a, a sorry, a person lives to be a thousand. So. His maturity, he doesn't come, come, he doesn't become sexually mature at 12 or 13. He becomes sexually mature at 60 or 70 or 80 or at 100. And he says, even if you take a look after the time of Noah, the earliest person who could have a child is 29 years old. It's about 30. Because he says, the marechet is shemurah. In other words, what happens is, is that things get compressed. But the idea that you have children, that you become uh, that human beings, if a person lives about to be 70, when he gets to be about a seventh or whatever, a sixth of, 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 of his lifespan, uh, he develops the, the ability to have children. That's the way things have always been. That marocha has always been that way. So when lifespans were a thousand, so a sixth of a thousand, that's when people started with having children. And he says, take a look at the way things are today. Today, the average age is about 70. And you go there, we see a 12 and 13 year olds. That's the way it was in the time of David HaMelech or the time of the, of the Malachim. So about 12 or 13 year olds started having children. So if it's true that people at the time of Rivka lived to be 200, 150, 160, they should be actually having children later, not at the age of three. Now, you're telling me that yoska is there, and the word yoska is connected to the word sacha, which is to see, Baruch HaKodesh. And we know, of course, that Sarah was someone who did have Ruach HaKodesh and understood what was right. Derech drashu, that's a drasha. Oh, Svara, maybe someone thought of it in Chazal. It's not a Kabbalah at all. In other words, Urkasta, maybe, maybe, maybe this idea, like he said before in his earlier commentary, I'll show you again. He says that Im Kabbalah and In one version of the commentary, the earlier one, he said, yeah, okay, I guess I'll have to accept it, that Yoska and Sar are the same people, and that means Avram married his niece. But here he says, nah. <laughs> he says, this idea that that Socha means Socha Baruch HaKodesh, he says, that's not a Kabul at all. It's a Svara. And it's not a mitzvah to accept it. And you don't have to accept it. It's in Chazal, but all right. Now, now he talks about Urkastim in this, again, this is the same Eben Ezra writing in a, in a sort of like a, a second version. He says, first of all, it means a bika. Ur means a valley. Because we know it says Al-Kain Ba'urim. And over there, it probably means a valley. Kadmenenu, that's Chazal. Say Avram was thrown into a Kivshana Eish. It doesn't say that in a Pasuk anywhere. 
If it is a Kabbalah, I'll accept it. That's the Eben Ezra about this section. Now, the Ramban writes about this Eben Ezra the following. He says... Don't let Eben Ezra seduce you with his questions. The Torah never writes it. I will show you a proof against him and in other places. And he's going to do that in Parshas Vayigash. Now, you, all of you listening, have the advantage of me expanding on this Eben Ezra. But do you see the Eben Ezra making a case here without what I said? He just says, well, Chazal say it. If it's a Kabbalah, I accept it. Do you- I, I have a response to that. I think you said this occurs in chapter 11. That's right. why chapter 11 is associated with bankruptcy. <laughs> So he, he, he believes Chazal are bankrupt in a certain way. <laughs> um, what, is this, what does he mean here, Bikushio Sov? Was there a string of questions? The Eben Ezra really did not have a string of questions against Chazal. If you look at the piece of Eben Ezra in question, I'm going to look at, show it to you again. And here's what we're talking about, Tochechat, Tochachat Megula. Here it is. The Torah does not write that Avram ever got thrown in. The Torah does not talk about Nimrod throwing him in and never talks about Avram coming out of it. Doesn't it sound like that Ben Ezra says, look, it's not in here, but you know, if it's a Kabbalah, I'll accept it. The Ramban, though, is looking at the totality of this whole paragraph and says the whole spirit of this whole paragraph is Chazal really are off base, often. That's what he means, Bikushiotav. Yeah, it's not here. But if you look at that Ben Ezra is using, it's not here, Sora is not really Yoska, the Parshios are not in order. In other words, that Ben Ezra is really creating um, um, you know, all these sound bites, you know, weaving them all together, so to speak, to create the type of thing that the Ramban feels is dangerous, which is, which is an attitude to walk away from Chazal as being inadequate and say, yeah, and even the attitude, okay, if it's a Kabbalah, well, I accept it. What do you mean? Remember the way the Ramban spoke about the Midrashim and the Agodos? This is, again, what gets his gourd here. In, in so many ways, he believes the Eben Ezra um, has so much positive to give. There are so many beautiful explanations Eben Ezra says about how spirituality works and, and, and really brilliant understandings of words and meanings that he, de- that, that he develops. But this part of the Eben Ezra's uh, parish, where you know, he amasses, and, and in a way, incorrectly, and um, 
bunching and, and, and guilty by association, these are things that the Ramban sees as, as, as a method of steering a philosophically inclined audience away from Chazal. And that's what he's saying. He's, he's breaking the third wall and he's saying, don't buy into him. Don't buy into him what he's trying to say. Um, in fact, let's take a look. We'll end with this. He, he starts off the Ramban quoting Rashi in chapter 11, verse 28. Because of Rashi, and here the Ramban puts a parenthetic statement, when you get to Terach, where it says, again, the Pasuk says, he died, right? Horon died on the face of Terach. Now remember, these words, which are unusual to say, he died before him. He died, but Pnei Terach Oviv sounds like Terach was physically watching his son die. That gives, uh, that gives the impetus to Chazal's Medrash that Rashi quotes as the first shot in the Pasik. What does it mean that, that Haran dies, Al Pnei? Again, why is Terach there? Because Terach got Haran in trouble. How did Terach get Haran in trouble? Because he got Avram in trouble. Because Avram broke the idols. And Nimrod knew about it. They threw him into the Kibshanaish. And Haran is sitting there. Right? And Haran's deciding. Avram notzeach, I don't know what to do. Avram goes in and decides to do this incredible act. The first incredible act of Mesiras Nefesh. And he gets saved. When Avram is saved, they ask him, they ask Haran, who are you from? He says, well, I'm an Avramnik. <laughs> so they throw him to the Kivshan Aish, he gets burnt up. And that's Ur Kastim. Now, I don't care about the fact, Kastim, just because Nochar had a son called Kesa doesn't mean there weren't any Kastim before that. That was the fire of Nimrod. That was such an important point. That is like the origin of the Jewish people. Now, it happens to be Menachem, Menachem ibn Saruk, said that the word Ur means a valley. How does he know that? All these early grammarians didn't have a, 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 a Ruach HaKodesh, but they figured out what words meant by where they were used. So if it says in Yeshaya, Bu'urim Kibdu Hashem, then it says, Mi'uras Tzifaoni, so it sounds like there's some sort of crevice there. So probably it's a valley. A valley, like a valley is a crevice within mountains. So probably it's a valley. Using these three psukim together, you can make that supposition. And kol chur ubeka omok, whenever you have like any hole that's deep or a valley that's deep with mountains surrounding it, you call it an ur. That's what Rashi quotes Menachem as the second parish. The Ramban here criticizes Rashi. He says, Who I am is. This is a shtoch on Rashi and the Ramban. First of all, it's, he's even bothered that Rashi should bring Menachem in. Because Rashi brings Chazal first, and then he tells you this interesting thing that he saw in the Machberet Menachem, which Rashi quotes often, that says the word Ur means a valley. But the Ramban's comment to that is, no, like Tevya said, there is no other hand. 
the, the Chazal is the truth, and that's exactly what Ur custom is. And I am going to explain it. And by explaining it, he he tears down the Ebenezer's whole theories about where Avram was born. And he shows that Avram was not born in Ur custom, and etc. So he believes that now the big question that Rabban has to deal with is why isn't Ur Kastim, if it's such an incredible moment, and it's 100% true, why didn't the Torah give it some description? And this really takes us into something we talked about last week, which is the idea of miracles being presented in the Torah. Part of what is bothering Deben Ezra is that this is a pretty big miracle. I mean, it's a very important event. It's very miraculous. Why is there no mention of it? Why does there not give any remis to it? And, and, and the Ramban has an explanation as to it, uh, it definitely is true. And he believes there's, that, that every believing Jew needs to believe in it. It's not just an alternate shot. But he also has an explanation why Ur Kastim, along with many other miracles, don't get mentioned. And that, of course, has to do with the bigger idea of the Ramban's ideas about miracles in general. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.